Welcome back to another episode of Songs for FRCR. I've known a few guys who thought they were pretty smart, but you've got me red down to an utter. You think you're a genius who drives me up the wall. You're a regular original, no at all. Oh, you think you're special. So you're a rocket scientist. That don't impress me much. Today we're covering bone tumors. For those of you who have been listening for a while, you'll know we already had an episode on bone tumors. In fact, one of the very earliest ones we did. But we think it was pretty rubbish and actually was incomplete. So we're doing a bigger, better, badder version today. One thing we got right last time was the song choice. If you remember, we couldn't think of any songs for bones and bone tumours, so we opted for a song that reminded us of orthopaedic surgeons and a lot of MSK radiologists that we've come into contact with. We've also updated the song. It's of course Shania Twain's classic That Don't Impress Me Much, but it is an updated, sleeker version by a group from Australia called Hein. So here we go, Bone Tumours. Right, we have a lot to cover and not a lot of time to do it, so I might be speaking a little bit faster than I usually do. Let's begin the same way we did last time, by dividing the bone tumours into their cells of origin. So we're going to first start with bone-forming lesions, osteotumours. We'll move on to the chondroid tumours, or the cartilage-forming lesions, and then the miscellaneous, fibrous and vascular, etc, etc. Before I begin, I will say that bone tumours is a particularly high yield topic. There are lots of exam questions on this very small topic, so it's well worth you knowing them inside out. It's really important because in an exam, there are lots of questions that you can actually sit and work out the answer. But things like this, it's very easy and saves you a lot of time if you know it very quickly. To help you know it really well, I'm going to do another episode midweek. A few of us are going to get together and do quick fire questions that will be out maybe around Thursday. And that will really help reinforce everything we're going to tell you today. So bone tumours. Let's start with the bone forming or osteo lesions. There are six bone-forming lesions I'm going to talk about, and the first one is bone islands, otherwise known as enostosis. Why am I mentioning bone islands when they're so common and no one really cares about them? The only reason is there are some ways that they can be incorporated into exam questions, and it would be so silly to not get these right. 
first of all, a bone island is a giant bone island if it's above two centimeters. That's the first thing you need to know. The second thing you need to know is that a bone scan of bone islands is normal. And finally, there are two syndromes that feature bone islands, which I've seen pop up sometimes in exam questions. The first syndrome is called osteopoikilosis. It's autosomal dominant, and this consists of lots of bone islands and keloid formation. So loads of little bone islands and keloid formation is osteopoikilosis. The second syndrome is called osteopathia striata. As the word striata suggests, it has lots of linear bands of sclerosis in the long bones and then fan-like bands of sclerosis in the pelvic bones. Like with bone islands in general, the bone scans for osteopathia striata are usually normal. That's it for bone islands. Let me just recap what I've said. A small spiculated bit of bone. It's a giant bone island if it's above two centimeters. Bone scans are normal. Two syndromes we need to know. Osteopathia striata and osteopoikilosis. Osteopoikilosis is autosomal dominant and that has lots of bone islands and keloid formation. I remember it because it's osteopoikilosis, keel as in keloids. The next one is osteopathia striata, easy to remember because it has the word striata. So you get long linear bands of sclerosis in the long bones and then fan-like bands of sclerosis in the flat pelvic bones. That's it, easy as pie. Let's move on to the next one. I'm not going to do a song between each diagnosis because there's a lot to get through. We'll move straight on to osteoma. So unlike its predecessor, bone islands, which arise from the medullary canal, osteomas arise from the cortex, particularly the cortex of the skull or the frontal ethmoid sinuses. So in an exam, an osteoma will be often densely sclerotic lesion arising from the cortex of the skull or the frontal sinuses or the ethmoid sinuses. There is a syndrome to learn again. There's always going to be a syndrome to learn. Gardner's syndrome, which I'm sure you know, it's very common and we have covered it in our polyposis syndromes talk. Gardner's syndrome is a syndrome of lots of osteomas, lots of polyps in the intestines and soft tissue desmoid tumours. So commit that to memory. Let's quickly go over osteoma again. Osteoma, slow growing, usually very densely sclerotic lesion, which you'll find arising from the cortex of the skull or the frontal and ethmoid sinuses. It is associated or is a feature of Gardner's syndrome, which consists of multiple osteomas, intestinal polyps and soft tissue desmoid tumours. So from the top, bone islands. A bone island is a giant bone island if it's above two centimetres. It has normal bone scans and there are two syndromes I talked about. Osteopoikilosis, which was bone islands plus keloid scars, and osteopathia striata, which is bone islands plus sclerotic lines, linear bands of sclerosis in the long bones and the pelvic bones. We then did osteoma. Osteoma, slow-growing sclerotic lesion from the skull cortex or the frontal ethmoid sinuses 
associated with Gardner's syndrome. Gardner's syndrome is multiple osteomas, polyps and soft tissue desmoid tumours. We'll do one more before we have some music and this is meloriostosis. What is meloriostosis? Well, thankfully in an exam it should be really easy to spot. So this is a thick, proliferated, irregular cortex, often described, and I've seen it described in exams, as candle wax appearance. What they'll present with is pain and decreased range of motion in the leg, sometimes leg bowing, sometimes a leg length discrepancy. A key finding also is they can have skin lesions over the affected area of bone. These lesions often resemble the lesions that you have with scleroderma. Another key thing to remember with meloriostosis is that the bone scan will show intense uptake. Normally you'll see meloriostosis in the lower limb, a single lower limb, and often it will be in the distribution of something called sclerotome, which is a zone of skin supplied by a single sensory nerve. So from the top, again, I'm going to implant the information into your brain. A bone island is a giant if it's more than two centimetres. Bone scans are normal in bone islands. There are two syndromes to know, osteopoikilosis, which is keloid scars and bone islands, and osteopathia striata, which is linear bands of sclerosis in the long bones and pelvic bones. Then we did osteomas, osteomas, slow-growing lesion from the cortex of the skull or the frontal ethmoid sinuses associated with Gardner's syndrome, which is lots of osteomas, polyps and soft tissue desmoid tumours. Now we've just done meloriostosis, which is a thick, irregular, proliferated cortex described as a candle wax appearance. They'll present with pain, decreased range of motion, often will have scleroderma-like lesions over the affected area of the leg. It's usually a lower limb, and on bone scan it will be intense, intense uptake. Phew, that's three. Three down, three to go for the osteo lesions. We did that in six minutes. Osteoid osteoma. This is an important one to remember the clinical presentation of because it's an absolute giveaway. These classically present with night pain that is relieved by aspirin in a young person, a young adult or a teenager. They usually occur in the long bone diaphyses, often the femur and the tibia, and 20% actually occur in the posterior elements of the spine. It's an important cause of painful scoliosis. So what are you going to see on imaging? You'll see a lucent nidus surrounded by lots of reactive sclerosis. Often the nidus has some central calcification within it. Bone scans are positive and they give something called the double density sign, which is really high uptake in the centre of the nidus and then again high uptake in the reactive sclerosis surrounding the nidus.
MR is usually not great for osteoadosteoma simply because you get low signal on T1 from the nidus and then on T2 all the reactive sclerosis and edema around it will obscure the actual lesion. So MR is not ideal. The treatment of osteoid osteoma I have seen asked in exam questions and the answer they want you to give is radiofrequency ablation. So quick recap of osteoid osteoma. Classical presentation is night pain relieved by aspirin, often in a teenager or a young adult. Tends to be in the diaphysis of the long bones of the lower limb. 20% are in the posterior elements of the spine where they are an important cause of painful scoliosis. What you'll see on imaging is a lucent nidus with lots of surrounding reactive sclerosis. The nidus often contains specks of calcification. On bone scan, it does have intense uptake and you'll see something called the double density sign, which is high uptake in the nidus and also high uptake again around the nidus where the reactive sclerosis is occurring. MR is not so good for this and to treat it, we need radiofrequency ablation. We're going to head straight into the next one, osteoblastoma. I'm not taking a break between osteoid osteoma and osteoblastoma because they are essentially the same thing. Histologically, they're identical. The difference is an osteoblastoma is any osteoid osteoma greater than two centimeters. They're much less common, but occur in the same age range, the adolescents and young adults. An important discriminating factor when it comes to presentation is that they both present with pain but classically the pain of an osteoblastoma is not relieved by aspirin, whereas the pain of an osteoid osteoma is relieved by aspirin. A small warning here about reading questions carefully. In practice questions, I have got this wrong because I've missed the word not relieved by aspirin. So read it carefully. Whereas osteoid osteoma is usually in the long bone diaphysis and 20% are in the spine, an osteoblastoma most commonly is in the posterior elements of the spine. It can be anywhere from the cervical spine right down to the sacrum. It can also occur in the long bone diaphyses too. What does it look like? Well, it looks like a lytic lesion that contains some mineralization. If it's in the spine, which they usually are, you often get an aneurysmal bone cyst that's associated with it. So if you have a young person with a lytic lesion in the posterior elements of the spine, it's most likely to be an osteoblastoma. The other differential is an aneurysmal bone cyst. And the way to tell them apart is if there is any mineralization within the lesion, then it's an osteoblastoma as far as the exam is concerned. So from the top, osteoid osteoma and osteoblastoma. Osteoid osteoma, we said, was classically presenting with night pain relieved by aspirin, usually in the long bone diaphyses of the lower limb and 20% will be in the posterior elements of the spine. You'll see a lucent nidus surrounded by reactive sclerosis. Often there'll be some calcification within the nidus. High uptake on bone scans with a double density sign. MR is not so good and treatment is radiofrequency ablation. Osteoblastoma, in contrast, is an osteoid osteoma greater than 2 centimeters. 
it's usually in the posterior elements of the spine and less commonly in the long bone diaphyses. What you'll see here is a lytic lesion, sometimes associated with an aneurysmal bone cyst if it's in the posterior elements of the spine. The lytic lesion will contain some mineralization. And remember the two differentials of lytic lesions in the posterior elements in the spine for a young person are osteoblastoma and aneurysmal bone cyst. If the lesion has any mineralization, just tick the osteoblastoma option. Remember, the pain will not be relieved by aspirin in osteoblastoma. Read the question carefully. Don't miss the word not. Phew, that took five minutes. Two more lesions have been covered. We now only have one remaining. The only malignant lesion in the osteoid bone forming tumours category is osteosarcoma. We'll take a breather and come back. Osteosarcoma, a horrible malignancy, can be either primary or secondary to things like radiation treatment and Paget's disease. We're going to focus on the primary and there are lots and lots and lots of primary subtypes. We're not going to cover them all, they're not going to ask you in an exam. We're going to cover the four big ones. The four big ones are conventional, which is the most common, then telangiectatic, and paraosteal and periosteal. Let's start with conventional, which makes up 75% of primary osteosarcomas. These are metaphyseal lesions. They are found in the medulla, in the metaphysis, usually around the knee, femur or tibia. The features are as you would expect for an aggressive bone lesion. There will be cortical bone destruction, medullary bone destruction, there'll be an aggressive periosteal reaction, usually the sunburst type or Codman's triangle, and often there's also a soft tissue mass associated with it. That's the first one. Conventional, the intramedullary osteosarcoma, is the most common, 75% of osteosarcomas, and it's around the knee. Remember, knee, metaphyseal region of the knee in the femur or the tibia. The features will be intramedullary bone destruction, cortical bone destruction, aggressive periosteal reaction, and sometimes a soft tissue mass. The next subtype is called telangiectatic. It's unique in the osteosarcomas because it doesn't produce any bony matrix, so it looks just like an aneurysmal bone cyst. However, on MRI, if there are any solid components to the tumour, or nodular components that will raise suspicion of telangiectatic osteosarcoma over a simple aneurysmal bone cyst. So it's a lytic lesion that does not produce any bony matrix and looks like an aneurysmal bone cyst. Finally, the paraosteal and periosteal osteosarcomas. They arise from the outer periosteum and the inner periosteum respectively. 
the easiest way to remember which one is which is parosteal has the O, that's outer periosteum. Periosteal has the I and that's the inner periosteum. So the two juxtacortical osteosarcomas, parosteal, remember, is the one that arises from the outer periosteum. Where you'll usually find it is at the back posterior aspect of the distal femoral metaphysis. So back of the knee, and it often is described as having a cauliflower-like morphology. A good way to remember that is you parboil a cauliflower before eating it. So the cauliflower morphology is from a parosteal osteosarcoma. You can often see a lucent line separating the parosteal osteosarcoma from the cortex. Patients are often a little bit older, but in their 30s, 40s and 50s. That's compared to the comparatively younger patients in the other types of osteosarcoma. Now the other juxtacortical osteosarcoma is the periosteal osteosarcoma. Remember peri has the eye, so it's arising from the inner periosteum. And what you'll see is what you'd expect for a tumour arising from the inner periosteum. Cortical thickening, very aggressive periosteal reaction and often a soft tissue mass. So that's the four main types of osteosarcoma that you have to know about. Osteosarcoma can be primary or secondary to Paget's disease or post-radiation treatment. Four big types you have to know. There are actually more than 10. The first and most common is conventional osteosarcoma, accounting for 75% of osteosarcomas. It's young people, adolescents, young adults, and it's around the metaphysis of the knee joint, so femur or tibia metaphysis. You will see destruction of bone, both intramedullary and cortical, aggressive periosteal reaction, and often a soft tissue mass. The next subtype is telangiectatic osteosarcoma. This is an aggressive tumour which looks lytic and does not produce any bony matrix, so it can look a lot like an aneurysmal bone cyst. On MRI, nodular components or solid components will set it apart from a regular aneurysmal bone cyst. And finally, two juxtacortical osteosarcomas, the parosteal and periosteal. Parosteal arises from the outer periosteum and it's an exophytic mass behind back of the knee, so distal femoral metaphysis posteriorly you'll see a cauliflower-like exophytic mass. Remember, the way to remember that is you parboil a cauliflower before eating it. You can sometimes see a lucent line separating the tumour from the cortex. Patients are often a little bit older than other osteosarcomas. And finally, periosteal arising from the inner periosteum. It has thickened cortex aggressive periosteal reaction, and often a soft tissue mass. Every single subtype will metastasize, often to the lungs, where you'll see calcification in the metastases. They're often described as fluffy osteoid matrix in the lung metastases. So that's it for the osteo or bone-forming lesions. We covered bone islands, osteoma, meloriostosis, osteoid osteoma, osteoblastoma, and four types of osteosarcoma. 
Let's take a break and then we'll cover the chondroid or cartilage forming lesions. We are moving swiftly on to cartilage forming lesions and again like the first group we have six of them. Let's head straight into the first one, synovial chondromatosis. This is where there's proliferation of the synovium or metaplasia of the synovium and what it results in is lots of lobulated cartilage bodies within the joint. It usually only affects a single joint, it's monoarticular, and the cartilage bodies that you find in the joint, they may or may not ossify. So we call it synovial chondromatosis. If they ossify, then we call it osteochondromatosis, which should make sense. So I'm going to say that again. Synovial chondromatosis is the first of our cartilage-forming lesions. It is as the name suggests, it's proliferation or metaplasia of the synovial cartilage and this results in lobulated cartilaginous nodules within a joint. It's usually a single joint. If these nodules ossify, then rather than call it chondromatosis, we call it osteochondromatosis. It's a single joint, like I've said, usually the knee, but any big joint can be affected, shoulders and hips as well. What you'll see on x-ray is what I've just described. You'll see lots of round intraarticular bodies. They're all going to be of a similar size, but the degree of mineralization of ossification is going to be variable between them. As you can imagine, the main differential for lots of loose intraarticular bodies in a joint is going to be osteoarthritis. The best way to tell them apart is in OA, the bodies are all going to be of different sizes and different shapes, and there'll be much less of them. In chondromatosis, you'll have a larger number of bodies, and they're all going to be of a very similar size and shape. However, if the bodies are not calcified, it can be quite difficult to diagnose. If they are calcified, then on MRI you'll see lots of globular, round, low-signal foci within a joint. However, multiple intraarticular low-intensity foci is not specific to chondromatosis, so be careful on an exam, because you can get a very similar picture in something called PVNS, pigmented villanodular synovitis, which we will talk about later. If you're stuck between the two and you can't decide which one, do a plain x-ray and a plain film should clearly show rounded calcified bodies of osteochondromatosis. Final point to note is chondromatosis can become malignant. It can turn into a chondrosarcoma. So let's, from the top, go over this again. Synovial chondromatosis. It's synovial proliferation resulting in multiple 
cartilaginous round globular bodies within a joint. The bodies can calcify, in which case we're going to call it osteochondromatosis. Usually it's one joint in the knee. It can be other big joints, hips, knees, elbows. Plain film, you'll see multiple round intraarticular bodies. They're all going to be of a similar size and a similar shape. Unlike osteoarthritis, where the bodies are fewer in number, they are usually different sizes and different shapes. If they're calcified, then on MR you're going to see multiple low signal globular bodies within a joint. The main differential in that case is going to be PVNS. And to differentiate the two, if you do a plain film, you will see the calcified bodies of osteochondromatosis. Finally, they can degenerate into chondrosarcoma. That's it for chondromatosis. Let's do one more before a song. Next, we're doing enchondroma. Now, our first topic, which was osteochondromatosis, that is proliferation of the synovium. Enchondroma is proliferation of hyaline cartilage. And what you see depends on where the enchondroma occurs. It can occur in long bones and it can also occur in the hand. So let's take each one by turn. Let's start with enchondromas in the long bones. Now these are usually metaphyseal slash diaphyseal lesions. For exam purposes and for life purposes, it's very rare to see an enchondroma in the epiphysis. So if you have that in an exam question, it's a lot more likely to be a chondrosarcoma. So we've established it's metaphyseal slash diaphyseal in the long bones, and it will be a lytic lesion with non-aggressive features. So a narrow zone of transition, sharply defined margins, often will have chondroid calcification, which is the ring and arc or popcorn calcification pattern. They can be expansile, but the important negatives here is there'll be no bone destruction, no periosteal reaction, and no associated soft tissue mass. On MR, they will have a characteristic lobulated hyper-intense signal on T2. So that's the long bones, metaphyseal slash diaphyseal lytic lesion with central chondroid calcification. And chondroid calcification, remember, is the popcorn or ring and arc calcification. Characteristic MR appearance of an enchondroma is lobulated, hyper-intense T2 signal. If you find them in the hand, they are a little bit different in that they don't typically have any visible matrix. So it looks like a simple, lytic, well-defined, benign-looking lesion within the finger. These purely lytic enchondromas in the hand can be complicated by pathological fracture, but as a rule, enchondromas are incidental findings. They can degenerate to chondrosarcoma, but it's very, very rare. You would be concerned if there were any evidence of a soft tissue mass associated with the enchondroma, any cortical destruction or any cortical thickening. These are signs of or concerning signs for malignant transformation, but I repeat, it's very, very rare. Treatment of enchondroma is curatage. As always, there are syndromes. There are two syndromes that you have to know about that feature enchondromas. These are Olia and Mafuchi. These are both syndromes of multiple enchondromas. Olia 
is a syndrome of multiple enchondromas only. The way to remember that is only sounds a bit like olia. So olia syndrome is multiple enchondromas only. The other one, mafuchi, is multiple enchondromas with venous malformations. And these venous malformations produce phleboliths. The way I remember this is malformations sounds a bit like mafuchi. Both of these familial syndromes carry a slightly increased risk of malignant transformation to chondrosarcoma, particularly higher with mafuchi. So let's go over enchondromas one more time. These are lesions, benign lesions of hyaline cartilage. They usually occur in the long bones or in the hands. When they're in the long bones, it's often the metaphyseal slash diaphyseal region. And what you will see is a lytic lesion with chondroid calcification. That's the ring and arc or popcorn calcification. On MR, there's a characteristic lobulated hyperintense T2 signal. In the hand, there's no calcification. They are generally purely lytic lesions, which can often be complicated by pathological fracture. Malignant transformation is very rare, but things that would worry you would be a soft tissue mass, any cortical destruction or cortical thickening, and treatment for enchondroma is curatage. There are two syndromes, Olia and Mafuchi. Olia is multiple enchondromas only, and Mafuchi is multiple enchondromas and venous malformations, causing phleboliths. Both of these syndromes confer a higher risk of malignant degeneration to chondrosarcoma, particularly higher with Mafuchi. So very quickly from the top, before we have a break, we started with synovial chondromatosis. That was just proliferation of the synovium, causing these intraarticular lobulated cartilaginous nodules. These can calcify, they may not calcify, and imaging findings depend largely on whether they do or don't. It's usually monoarticular and usually the knee. If the cartilaginous nodules ossify, we call it osteochondromatosis. And what we see on imaging is articular bodies of similar size and similar shape. When you do an MR, if these are calcified, you'll see lots of low signal round lobulated lesions within a joint. This is very similar to something called PVNS and to differentiate the two you go back to your plain film and the plain film will clearly show calcified round lobulated foreign bodies. We then did enchondroma. I'm going to whiz through enchondroma because I've just talked about it less than 30 seconds ago. It occurs in the long bones or in the hands usually. If it's in the long bones, metaphyseal slash diaphyseal lytic lesion with chondroid calcification. If you do an MR, you get a characteristic lobulated hyperintense T2 signal. In the hand, they tend to not have calcification, purely lytic lesions, often complicated by pathological fracture. Very rare for these lesions to undergo malignant transformation. The risk is higher if they are a part of two syndromes, Olia and Mafuchi. Olia is enchondromas only and Mafuchi is enchondromas and venous malformations. I need a glass of water, you listen to some music.
shoes before you let me get in. I can't believe you kiss your car goodnight. Now come on, baby, tell me, you must be joking, right? Oh, oh you think you're special. Oh, oh you think you're something else. Okay, so you've got a car. That don't impress me much. Osteochondroma is next and it is ridiculously easy to spot. An osteochondroma is a bony growth that's projecting out from the bone. It starts at the metaphysis and points away from the epiphysis. Because it's a sticky outy bit of bone, it often presents as a palpable mass. These will stop growing a skeletal maturity. In exams, they often, to make it clear that it's an osteochondroma, mention that the cortex of the osteochondroma, the sticky outy bit from the bone, is continuous with the cortex of the long bone, and the medullary cavities are also in communication. If shockingly you've not seen one before, just Google image it. It's so characteristic, you will not forget it. The main thing to note here is that uncommonly they can degenerate to chondrosarcoma and when we worry about this is as follows. If you have pain without any pathological fracture, that's a red flag. As always, an associated soft tissue mass is always going to be a red flag for malignant disease. And finally, the cartilage cap, the cartilage cap thickness, if it's more than two centimetres on MRI, that suggests malignant transformation. So I'll say that again. Osteochondroma, we know what it is, a sticky outy bit from the bone, which starts at the metaphysis and points away from the epiphysis. We need to worry that it may have transformed into a malignant chondrosarcoma if there is pain without any evidence of a fracture, if there's a soft tissue mass or a cartilage cap thickness of more than two centimetres. You can get multiple osteochondromas in something called, surprise, surprise, familial osteochondromatosis. That has an increased risk of malignant transformation if it's in association with the familial osteochondromatosis. So I'm really sorry, but I'm going to go from the top again because it's so important to know these like the back of your hand. So from the top, we started with synovial chondromatosis. This was synovial proliferation, giving multiple lobulated intraarticular cartilaginous nodules. If they ossify, we call it osteochondromatosis, not synovial chondromatosis. Now, these are most commonly in a single joint in the knee and on x-rays you'll see multiple round intraarticular bodies are all similar size and similar shape. On MR you'll see the same thing. If they're calcified you'll see multiple low signal globular rounded foci. The main differential there is PVNS. If you're not sure between the two go back to the original x-ray and you will spot the ossified chondromatosis. We then did enchondromas. Remember, they can be in the long bones or in the hands, usually. In the long bones, it's around the metaphysis. It's a lytic lesion with chondroid calcification. On MR, characteristically lobulated hyperintense T2 signal. 
Enchondromas in the hands tend to be purely lytic with no mineralization. Two syndromes of multiple enchondromas are Olia and Mafuchi. Olia is enchondromas only because Olia sounds like only. Mafuchi is enchondromas and malformations, venous malformations, which produce phleboliths. Both Olia and Mafuchi confer a higher risk of malignant transformation to chondrosarcoma, more so with Mafuchi. They both begin with an M, more in Mafuchi. We treat enchondromas by curatage. And finally, osteochondroma. Osteochondroma is a benign bony growth that projects out from the bone. It starts at the metaphysis and points away from the epiphysis. The main worry with osteochondroma is malignant transformation to chondrosarcoma, although it's rare. And what you will see is pain without a fracture, soft tissue mass, and a cartilage cap thickness of more than two centimetres. I'm going to do one more before we have some music. The next one is chondroblastoma. Where will you find chondroblastoma? You'll find it in the epiphysis. So chondroblastoma will be eccentrically located in the epiphysis of a long bone. So it's usually children, skeletally immature patients. And most commonly, you'll see it around the knee or the proximal humerus. So I'll say it again, chondroblastoma is a eccentric lesion in the epiphysis of the long bones of a skeletally immature patient. They will usually be in the knee or proximal humerus. What will they look like? Well, they will be very well-defined, lucent lesions with a thin sclerotic rim. And as I've said again and again, they arise eccentrically in the epiphysis of long bones. Finally, there is sometimes an associated aneurysmal bone cyst and treatment is typically with curatage. So chondroblastoma is benign, eccentric in the epiphysis of long bones in a child, usually around the knee or the proximal humerus. They're usually calcified and on MR they will display intermediate T2 signal. They may be associated with an aneurysmal bone cyst and treatment is curatage. I'm going to quickly mention chondromyxoid fibroma as well. I'm not going to delve into it too much because it's very, very rare. But chondromyxoid fibroma is a metaphyseal lesion, usually in the upper third of the tibia. Like with chondroblastoma, it's a well-defined lesion with a sclerotic margin. So that's it. That was chondroblastoma and chondromyxoid fibroma. Let's take another break and we will get on with chondrosarcoma, the final and only malignant one of this group. Okay, so you've got a car. That don't impress me much. Don't 
Finally, chondrosarcoma. It's the malignant version of the tumours we've just mentioned. And just like with the osteosarcoma, it has primary and secondary forms. Secondary forms I've already mentioned will arise in things like Ollier and Mafuchi syndromes and familial enchondromatosis. Other things that can cause or give rise to chondrosarcoma are Paget disease and osteochondromas. Just like with osteosarcoma, there are multiple subtypes of chondrosarcoma. And again, just like with osteosarcoma, the most common is conventional or intramedullary chondrosarcoma subtype. What you're going to see on imaging, well, what you will see is an expansile lesion in the medullary bone, and it will have chondroid calcification, so ring and arc calcification. There'll be lots of features of a malignant process, so thickened cortex, endosteal scalloping, there's often an associated soft tissue mass. You may also see an aggressive periosteal reaction and presentation with pain. So to recap that again, chondrosarcoma has multiple primary and secondary variants. Secondary ones come from the things we've already discussed from Mafuchi, Olia, familial enchondromatosis, Paget disease and osteochondromas. If you remember, I told you the giveaway with osteochondroma to look for malignant transformation is a cartilage cap thickness of more than two centimeters on MRI. Now the conventional chondrosarcoma subtype is the most common and what you will see is an expansile medullary lesion with features of malignancy. So thickening of the cortex, endosteal scalloping, there'll be often an associated soft tissue mass and a malignant periosteal reaction. That's it. We are done with the chondro or cartilage forming lesions. Let's take a quick break and then move on. to do all of bone tumours in one episode but we are coming up to 50 minutes despite my talking really quickly and trying to rush through it it's going to be a mammoth episode if I cover everything this is not me being lazy I promise to give you an idea of how much we have yet to cover we have bone cysts metastatic disease benign tumour-like lesions, we have fat-containing lesions, notochord lesions, vascular lesions, fibrous lesions and a few other things. If I did that all now, it would be up to a two-hour episode and no one has time for that. So I propose we stop here and call it Bone Tumours Part 1 and we'll cover Bone Tumours Part 2 next week. We will then have to delay our liver tumours episode for the week after. 
this actually works out well if you spend some time learning back to front and inside out the legions that we've gone through today then tune in again on Thursday maybe Wednesday evening when we will release a quick fire questions episode to help reinforce the knowledge that you've gained today It's a better way of doing it than throwing so much information at once and none of it will stick. So let's stop there for today. Thank you so much for listening to Bone Tumors, which has now become Bone Tumors Part 1 of 2. We hope you enjoyed listening. Music today was from a group called Heim, who I called Australian at the beginning. They're not Australian, they're actually American, doing a beautiful, sleek cover of Shania Twain's That Don't Impress Me Much, which I actually preferred to the original. If anyone has any ideas for popular songs that may be relevant to next week's Bone Tumors Part 2 episode, please do let us know because we're struggling to think of any. Have a great week and we will see you most likely on Thursday with our Brain Tumors Quick Fire Quiz, hopefully consolidating everything that you've learned today. We'll see you soon. Adios.